I know, I know. Whenever you hear my voice in some narrator's form at the beginning of one of these podcasts, it's because we had a technical problem and the sermon itself was not actually recorded. And I'm instead re-recording some version of it in order for you to listen. But it happens. It happened again. And uh, I just want to be able to give you the gist of the sermon that we celebrated this past Sunday, February the uh, the 12th, or February 12th, Sunday. I lost track of what day of the week it is. Anyway, um, appreciate your patience on these. And by the way, I want to tell you, I really appreciate it. This is Pastor Jonathan Krogh of the First Presbyterian Church of LaGrange. I wanted to also tell you that I really appreciate some people who have gone to our website and have decided to keep uh, these services online by making contributions on our gift page. Go to fpclg.org, scroll down to the bottom of the page, you'll see an opportunity to make a contribution. Um, You can designate your contribution by putting in podcast uh, in the uh, gift area of your contribution, but one of the things that I'm extremely excited about is that our podcast audience for these sermons um, has uh, has well it's it's well into the uh, uh, seven eight hundred number on a weekly download basis, and some of those people just want to show their appreciation. They've been blessed. It's happened, and so they want to be able to make a contribution and let the powers that be know that contribution uh, reflects their appreciation of podcast sermon listening. So let's uh, turn to Matthew 5, 21 to 37. Give you time to look it up on your Bible app if you want to do that from your phone, or you can just listen. We're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus continues with these words. You've heard it said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you're angry with your brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or a sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So, when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there, before the altar, and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on your way to court with him or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be thrown into prison truly i tell you you'll not get out till you've paid the last penny you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery but i say to you that everyone who looks on another in lust has committed adultery in their heart if your right eye accuses you to sin tear it out throw it away It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go to hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, anyone who divorces, except for the grounds of sexual immorality, causes the commission of adultery, and whoever marries one who is divorced commits adultery. Again, you've heard it said... To those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, don't swear at all, either by heaven or by its throne of God, or by the earth, which is God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head. You can't make one hair white or black. No more cross uh, cross your heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. 
that is just more than you need to say. Your word should be yes when you mean yes, or no when you mean no. Anything more than that comes from the evil one. Let's pray together, shall we? Gracious God, as we consider these words in this far more informal context of just a narration, uh, we ask that your spirit be with both speaker and listener, so that what is heard and is retained is what your spirit desires us to know, and all that is not of your spirit just be quickly forgotten. Amen. Now, you know, as pastor, over time you begin to learn things about members of your congregation. You learn a lot of things. You have no idea how much the other people in this church have screwed up their lives. If you knew half of the stupid and hurtful things that other folks, folks in this church have done, you'd be scandalized. Now, let me give you a few examples. Now, there was a... Uh, uh, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Oh, I know some of you were thinking, I don't think I've ever even talked to the pastor, so how would he know what I've done? Well, anyway... They say that confession is good for the soul, and I am inclined to agree. There's a reason we begin our worship services in the Reformed tradition with a prayer of confession. Some traditions end their services with confession, with an altar call. There's a process in the service which culminates in an invitation for people to confess their sinfulness, sometimes by coming forward and praying with an elder, sometimes by just thinking about their wretchedness and praying in the pew. But the process of songs and prayers and offering and sermon is to drive the listener into understanding just how much they need to change. There was a major schism in Presbyterianism during the 19th century. It was called the New School and Old School Presbyterianism. In the 1830s, great revivals were happening across the northeast of North America. Wonderful orators were moving vast crowds with their sermons to bring folks to tears for the depths of their sinfulness, driving them at the conclusion of the service to a life-changing repentance. Perhaps one of the greatest of those new school preacher theologians was Presbyterian minister Charles Grandison Finney. He believed that salvation came as a change of one's individual will. And in the late 1820s in Rochester, New York, he introduced something known as the anxious bench. Those who were convicted of their sinfulness during the sermon were invited to come forward and sit before the congregation to convey their earnest desire to change their lives. And from there, the rest of the congregation could pray as they wrestled with their sinfulness and pled for change. Finney also introduced choirs that sang for the preparation of the sermon, to cultivate the hearts of the listeners, to open their emotional selves to the prosecuting power of the Holy Spirit. At the end of one of these sermons, then, he would invite those who wanted to confess and be saved to stand to their feet. You maybe have participated in such worship services, people standing or coming forward. It was a closing of many services of my own youth. Sometimes we sang all four verses of just as I am, three or four times, waiting for someone to go forward. The preacher, totally convicted of the power of the sermon just delivered, was convinced that the altar was only empty because Satan was holding souls back. So he needed to outweigh the devil to rescue their reluctant selves, occasionally interrupting our singing to tell the story of the man who did not come forward, left the church, and was hit by a bus and thereby spent eternity in hell because of his stubbornness. 
So I remember sometimes as a kid praying without one plea, except Lord convict somebody to go forward for salvation so we can get out of here and go home. Other times, there were dozens who came forward, sometimes the same people. Of course, in those instances, the preacher would play off the FOMO, the fear of missing out. Uh, Just as I am would give way to Jesus is tenderly calling you home. Softly and tender, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home. You who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner, come home. Why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading, pleading for you and for me? Why should we linger and heed not his mercies, mercies for you and for me? Time now is fleeting, the moments are passing, passing from you and from me. Shadows are gathering, deathbeds are coming, coming for you and for me. Now that's usually when he entered the story about the person who was hit by a bus right after church. Deathbeds are coming. Better be careful. Come home, come home. All you are weary, come home earnestly, tenderly. Jesus is calling. Calling, oh, sinner, come home. Oh, for the wonderful love he has promised, promised for you and for me. Though we have sinned, he has mercy and pardon, pardon for you and for me. Finally, the service would conclude with a prayer and the postlude. Now, I earnestly do not mean to poke fun at the new school enthusiasts. They were the ones who, by the way, got abolition right. Finney decried slavery while he was dean at Oberlin College, originally starting as director of the theology faculty and then becoming its second president. 1830s, they admitted African-American and European-American, both men and women, equally into full enrollment, enrollment. that was well before the Civil War. By comparison, uh, Wheaton College didn't have its first black student until 1946, Uh, even though they claim deep roots in abolitionism, uh, it seemed to not affect the admissions office of their student body. So the old school counterparts comfortably maintained segregationist and slave permitting traditions, new school evangelists believe that slavery was wrong. I digress. Let's loop back uh, to all those sinners who are here among us listening to this sermon. Okay. In today's passage from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sets up a little internal call and response. You've heard it said, he starts, but I tell you, and then he proposes. Here's the legal code as you all know it. That's the introduction. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. If you divorce, you need public certification. Do not swear falsely. And then from that point, Jesus extends his own convicting addendum. Here's the legal standard, the measure whereby someone is guilty and others are innocent. But I say hatred, lust, broken marriages, varying levels of truth-telling are all forms of unrighteousness. They're confronted with the law, there are innocent people. But confronted with standards of divine righteousness, those same laws become evidence of a universal conviction. 
The point's Jesus' admonition, by extension, was to suggest that dividing people into categories of relative sinfulness made grace and justice necessary for some and completely unnecessary for others. Now, what I want you to do is try something. Conjure up in your head a person uh, that is familiar to you, and I want you in your mind's eye to say to that person, You are a sinner. Okay? Now, take a moment. Think about telling that person that they're a sinner. Now, that's kind of fun, wasn't it? Yeah, especially if you change who you were thinking of when you found out you've got to tell them they were a sinner. If you're listening here, then think of looking that same person in the eye and saying, I am a sinner. The exchange feels different, doesn't it? Accusing is so much more fun than confessing. One divides. The other makes community itself possible. In premarital counseling, it's my goal to help each individual understand just how hard they are to live with. You cannot truly have a happy marriage unless you fully own the amount of grace that it takes for your partner to live in the same space as your sorry self. Once you understand just how much love it takes for you not to be smothered in your sleep, then you can start enjoying, enjoying the true kindness of your partner, waking up each morning, delighted in the restraint and forgiveness that makes your partnership and sometimes your very life possible. So it is, Jesus says, with the people of salt and light, with the poor in spirit, the meek, the peacemakers, they're fully aware of their limitations, and they are grateful for any connection at all. That the act of confession is not a way to separate the anxious from the righteous, but a means to equalize the participation of all under God's unfailing grace. That's the point of the reductio ad absurdum, to reduce to the absurd, where Jesus talks about plucking out eyes and cutting off arms. If we believe that perfectibility is a human possibility, then any flaw should immediately be exorcised or surgically removed so the rest of us can remain pure. That's not the case. Jesus is indicating that all of us fall short of God's glory. That's why when, when you gather at a 12-step meeting, one begins speaking by saying their name, followed by a clear confession of their condition. Hello, my name is Jonathan. I am a sinner. The group responds with an assurance of pardon by returning the hello with that same person's name. And that's where the connection begins. That's where we start with a prayer of confession. Our connection as community begins with the acknowledgement of why we gather, each of us, and collectively. Before we hear the word of God, before we pray, before we take an offering, before we do all those things that get us out of church before lunch, we say, I confess. I've done things. I've left things undone. I have not loved. I have not lived. We gather 
not for Jesus to tenderly call us home. We gather because Jesus announced we are home. A place for everyone who has fallen short of the glory of God. A place for you. A place for me. Amen. It is truly my hope that at some point you'll be able to be with us in person. 150 South Ashland Avenue, Ashland and Elm, in the town of LaGrange, Illinois. We gather for worship at 10 a.m., and then we also have uh, several gatherings throughout the week for fellowship, for education, sometimes just for fun and for study. If you'd like to know more about the First Presbyterian Church of LaGrange, go to our website, fpclg.org, fpclg.org, and click on any of the links to email myself or members of the staff or to just give me a call on my cell phone, which is also listed there on the website, and we'll have an opportunity to talk to you. Thank you for spending this time with me in this sermon podcast format. Hopefully, next Sunday, we'll be able to share the recording from the sanctuary. God bless you. Good day.